0: Right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So, so a brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by That Freaking Rocks with our special guest, Jared, from Our Transient Life. Our main discussion will dive deep Hi. into all things granite, and we boldly go where few others have gone before, and we shed some light onto rocks in your kitchen and bathroom countertop. Uh, here we go At it <laughs> and yep. your and your bathroom countertops what they truly are so between the bars of our main discussion we present to you another mineral minute and before signing off we'll close things out with a new news in triple Junction uh, we would like to thank everyone for spending your time with us each week and allowing us to be played between your earballs if you're a new listener welcome and if you would like to reach out for reach out to us whether it be for episode ideas hmm, you're wanting odd <laughs> or if you're feeling particularly salty like Brian. Brian and tell us about all the times we are wrong. You may reach out to us at <laughs> geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at geology on the rocks podcast or <laughs> I just I don't know why I put this or you can hashtag us at uh, hashtag geotr or hashtag my geology daddies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. Yeah. So it looks like things are squared away over here, Mr. Geology Daddy. So without further ado to all of you over there, I am your host, James the geologist.
1: And I'm Brian Baggin. And this is geology. And this is geology. On, on the, the rocks.
0: rocks. <laughs> hey man. Oh, so
1: man. another hey. week.
0: Man, my week has been yeah. uh, like crazy busy, but I guess that's such as life, right? Yeah. We'll get into uh my business when it comes to new news and what I've been dealing with, but how was your week? It was
1: good, man. I uh everyone's been kinda of sick over here, so that's also why I'm not at your place right now, I but another um, phone episode. Yeah, luckily it's not COVID and you know we're vaccinated. Yes. But um, I guess the big news is we could finally tell everyone that we went ahead and signed with Post Recordings. yeah And so um, yeah, hey, okay, we're excited.
2: <laughs> Hopefully, you can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And Jared knows those guys. are really like people that run that shop are really awesome and really into the to that music community. So we feel pretty lucky to. Yeah, well be on their uh, roster.
0: Then yeah, so you said Jared, so together oh, yeah, yeah. to we have a guest today with us. So we've yeah. if you didn't notice from our intro, we're doing our show in, in reverse. So would you just want to yeah. go ahead and get into it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that that's yeah the, that freaking rocks, Jared. I don't know if you could hear his uh, his. Woo in the background <laughs> with the <laughs> rock. But yeah, so we were kicking yeah, around yeah. The, uh, the the tires about this segment and how to make it better. And I and I think this is an amazing opportunity that we came up with for us and bands to use as kind of a cross-platform, so to speak. Previous music segments, you know, they've really been all over the place. We wanted to kind of narrow the focus a little and we wanted to transform the segment into kind of this platform for new and existing bands alike to share with everyone their story, a journey, new music, old music experience, etc. So I think we've discussed playing a song of bands and having them on to discuss and promote and whatnot. Brian, I will go ahead and let you introduce our guest. Officially, yeah, so,
1: <laughs> so we have Jared, and Jared, I will butcher your last name, so do you mind saying it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all good, man. It's Rothschild. Okay. That, I, I was trying to say it earlier, and I was like, is it Deutscher? Or Deut-? I just didn't know. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> technically, like if you said it in German, it would be, but I mean, this, yeah. like,
2: the American way is just Rothschild.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. But I guess we've we've known each other for a little while now. I mean, it started as internet friendships, as do most of the people in the post rock world. (laughs) How I originally met you in person was at the Post Festival in 2019. And It was all good times, like it was everyone put on a really good show, but I like that you came up there from Kentucky just to kind of support the scene. But then after that, you came out with your project, and that's why we're here tonight, and that is called Our Transient Live. So we kind of wanted to play a little bit of one of your songs for your latest release. You wanted to do the Yet It Soon amount. The years is that correct yeah yeah
0: yeah so so. let's play a little bit of it and then i have some questions i mean we have some questions to ask you too so let's go ahead and get into it we'll we'll play about a a minute or so okay here we go so we'll, we'll go ahead and uh start asking you some questions about it
1: yeah, yeah. go ahead i mean i'm like floating around my room right now about- no i am like it, it's <laughs> yeah. very
0: tranquil It puts me i i don't know like i just i feel at ease
1: yeah, yeah. like like it's real it's like surreal and you have some really interesting inter- instrumentation choices i kind of wanted you to Talked about that Like how did you come up With what instruments To layer there And, and how Maybe if you don't mind Sharing your secrets
2: <laughs> Yeah I mean for sure So the way that I kind of explain A little bit about that song So it was the last song In the EP That I just released Called Daily Laws And it's four songs And all of the songs Have a different stanza From a poem From Ronald Tierney He's a author He's from Indianapolis And they have The poem that he made For the Indianapolis uh, Public Library up there And it's uh, A time by minute slips away. The first the hours in the day while the daily loss appears yet it soon amounts mm-hmm. to years. And I've absolutely loved that poem for so many years. Yeah. And like, I never really envisioned using it as like a basis for a musical project. But once I was able to come up with the concept for it, like it just flew, it flowed together absolutely perfectly. So with the one that you guys just played, the, it's the last song on the album. And it's kind of like the culmination of all the other songs. Like there's a very strong piano intro for the first song as well as mm-hmm. like some melodic stuff. The second song, I have another big piano part that I use. And third song is more soundscaping. And I th- like, what I do is that I have this super old cassette recorder at home. It is, uh, like, it's from the 80s and everything. Like, <laughs> it's super old. And I've actually been recording some guitar tracks on it. And what I would do is I would have sort of like two independent tape tracks. Like I would do one and it would still be in the same key, but I would do some different things with it. And I would have two of those and just kind of pan it out and make it be super stereo and add a ton of reverb, obviously. (laughs) And it's just such a cool (laughs) sound too. And what what I had to do is I had to hunt down, the thing with the cassette tape is that it has like this hum on it, which is kind of annoying, but I found out the hum is the key of B. So everything that Uh I would have (laughs) to record on that is in the key of B and I'd have to like pitch shift it down or up depending on what key I'm using for the full song and for the last one it's an E flat so I took the but the same. I took the bass for the third song and added it into the last song. I took the piano melody from the second song and added it in the last song. And I also took the, one of my guitar melody leads from the first song and put it in the one that you guys just played. So I has all of the oh, elements cool. from the other three songs, and it's just kind of all warped together. And my favorite thing about it is that I absolutely love continuity. So at yeah. the very beginning of the EP, I have this super super old pocket watch. Like it's got to be at least like 70, 80 years old. And like I was using it for the cover art, which was really cool. But when I picked mm-hmm. it up, it actually started ticking. Oh wow. And I thought it was so cool. It's like, man, I got to sample this. So I was able to get a mic really quick and I was able to take the ticking sound from the pocket watch of the cover art. And I used that at the very beginning of the EP to start everything off. And at the very end of the EP on the track that you guys just played, like at the very end, it has that ticking noise and it just kind of like fades out. I is thought that was so up. cool. And it translates into that to like the song title
1: too like it just it seems like this time from before when we were which for that pocket wash probably is i don't know how old it is but mm-hmm. oh that's yeah how, that's the feeling of it and i like that you you did structure the songs that way it it definitely gives that movie soundtrack vibe that like oh many of us in this genre long for like you really pulled it off (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that listening
0: through that too yeah like that sonic soundscape if you will like the it it like washes over you but in a particular way they like it it did feel very cinematic like the opening track
2: yeah so real quick
1: i do want to add something about you mentioned the piano i think i remember Talking to you when you were were about to go record that song, or maybe you just finished. and You said something pretty cool about that piano because it has a really curious character of tone. Do you want to share anything on that?
2: Yeah. I know a lot of different people within like the community, like church community. And I was able to get this really cool piano from one of the local churches. Like it was in, I can't remember when it was. I guess it was in November. Like I just hit him up and I was like, hey, do you care if I come use your piano sometime just to record some stuff? And he's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. I mean, no problem. Just bring whatever you need. So I was able to get all of the piano stuff because I'm really picky. Like, I studied music in college. I have a music Mm -hmm. degree. I also have, like, relative engineering, which is a blessing (laughs) and a curse depending on where you're at. (laughs) <laughs> but, see, like, I can, I can instantly tell when a keyboard is in a track instead of, like, a real piano. Like, yeah. you can always tell the difference. And also just playing as well, you can always tell the difference too. So, I'm really big at trying to get, like, that full, like, acoustic piano sound. So, I was able to use that. It was in a really big hall too. So yeah, it's a like, natural room. It does sound like, like, a massive chapel or
1: cathedral. It just has that kind of vibe. That's how I picture you in this, like, old, maybe some cathedral in Spain or something. But that's to know that you have a music degree and that you can, pass. maybe that's how you judge everybody. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're
2: and This is another thing, I don't, not many people would probably catch this, but the chord progression that I'm doing in the last song, the one that you guys played, the way that you learned stuff in college, there's two different ways. Like It's called the Roman numeral system, but also the natural number system one where you five. just go by numbers. <laughs> yeah, so the, if you look on the cover art, the time says uh, 143, yeah. and on the last song the chord progression that I'm using is one four three so that's the cool subliminal thing that i love
0: wow. to do <laughs> so i uh, like yeah and then what i wanted to ask so it, it's cool. like it's like a, a question and then kind of how i felt about the 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 song so what i wanted to ask is with this song in particular like what was the like we kind of talked about the, the inspiration for the tone like outside of like the music because in the song to me i mean like i felt like the what the kids say is like it was an entire mood <laughs> if you will so i'm mean, <laughs> yes. like like in it, it like there's that 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 underlining like drum right but then there were it was the subtle changes to me that felt like almost like the seasons almost like the if you think of it in a year like how you I guess let us know that it was about a poem but to me it felt like kind of like the seasons of the year so it started out with kind of like this cold feeling if you will and then it started to come to life which really transformed I think into some warmer brighter notes because I mean they were very subtle and then I feel like it ended on more of a, a somber feel kind of like I don't know it resolved and then with the and this was done with like the note here and there that kind of made it intriguing Yeah, I do not know if like you had a certain inspiration for like the 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 tones I mean did you kind of feel like it was this overarching kind of like journey that we were on
2: Mm -hmm. yeah like that was kind of the goal that to where you could listen to the entire thing like I think if you listen to it all the way through it's like 18 minutes or something like that but it's almost kind of like to be taken in it's just like one giant movement of music in a way with just the whole time concept too like I have this first song Start off, and it's like establishing almost like a memory or something, something that you're really into and love, or something like that. And of course, like the other songs are just kind of continuing on through life, and it establishes different parts of the last song. Mm-hmm. And with the last song, like you notice, I mean, if you're really listening, you can hear like the melody line from the song beforehand or other things, but it's not the same. It's like it's distorted because it's kind of lost through time, or like with memories. I mean, we lose certain memories as we get older. So, I mean, that's kind of the goal with the last song is that it, it's almost like reviving some memories and stuff but yet you know it's not exactly the same as it was beforehand just because like time goes by so much faster than we think it does like that was the whole goal of the ep and that's mm-hmm. the whole point of that poem too that's what made it fit so perfect it's just how time goes by so much faster than we realized you know that's, yeah y'all yeah.
0: are both both uh, you jared and brian y'all are so like meta cognitive with y'all's music. Like I, know. I come up with like these like <laughs> like riffs and I'm just like I don't pay any mind like how I felt about it. I was just like this kicks ass. But y'all are like
2: y'all make me it, Dude, it, have, like, it's so awesome. Mood. I'm like super somber or I'm just making up some random noodle that somehow incorporates the lick or some other random meme <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man,
0: but I, I I love how y'all can articulate what y'all are feeling through y'all's music. I envy that if you I don't know because I, mean, I I don't play post rock or this yeah. type of music and it's I'm always like I don't understand it with all the pedals and reverb I always do something wrong oh yeah
2: <laughs> yeah it's yeah I think we're using like the cassette tapes and stuff too like I started getting into that and I think that added such a dynamic to my music too because especially with that last song just kind of getting that age sound like I took the like the piano melody for the second song that I used in the last song like in the original recording it's on that good piano that with my SM57 and everything like actually really good quality but I used the same melody again for my cassette recorder and it has like that super age sound to it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it
1: sounds awesome. I've always been intimidated by the cassette tape stuff. I know one day I want to try
2: it, but I'm not there yet. I mean, you can get one from Walmart. for like 25 bucks. Okay. Maybe (laughs) or you could go to some like super old like flea market or whatever and find one that works. That was made in like the nineties for like ten dollars and that would probably sound better. Okay. Well I also I wanted our listeners to learn about your project name. So
1: what what does our transient lives mean?
2: Yeah, so I mean this is kind of the overarching theme with all of my music is just like how short time is, how short our lives are and just what we do with it. I mean, it's it's a gift for sure. And that's what I've always been kind of obsessed with I guess is just knowing how short I mean things could just change in and you never know yeah. and just understanding like that brevity and just kind of thinking mm. about how we would incorporate that with music and everything and I, I thought it was a pretty cool name I came up with yeah. and oh yeah I mean, uh, short. It, 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 it's perfect and it's pretty good with what I'm trying to like drop home to musically as well I think it definitely fits yeah I love it so do you have do you have new music coming out or are you working on things yeah. Yeah, I'm actually working on a couple of collabs at the moment. I have mm-hmm. one with another guy. He's from Georgia. He originally from Nashville, though. That's how I kind of got connected with him. Is like We were talking just randomly, and I was like, so are you from Nashville? He's like, yeah, originally I'm in Georgia right now, though. But I'll be working with him. I'll also be working with Abandoned France. I'll be remaking one of their songs and kind of making it all spaced out. That'll be good. And at some point, I mean, I want to do another album. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I originally started the EP. Like, I thought I was going to go ahead and make it another album. Like my follow up to Blizzard's score, mm-hmm. but when I had this idea for the EP and like the poem and incorporating that, like that just fits so much better for that piece of music that I was working on and building off of that concept instead of another full length. But I mean, that is a goal maybe for this year, maybe for early next year. I'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I'm ready to get back out there. Yeah, I'm ready to hear. To hear some new stuff. I am too, Brian. Looking into your stuff too.
1: I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, whenever like that's me. out. I think August is going to be the drop. Sweet. So,
0: yeah nice maybe we could do a, a collab for because we want to make that little five minute documentary brian for that thing maybe we get oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah maybe we get jared's help on he some, can,
2: he some music score it, yeah yeah score it. <laughs> okay sounds good <laughs> yeah hook me up man i'll help you
1: all out for sure hell yeah well, well thanks a lot man yeah. yeah so these this segment's usually like just a quick little thing and luckily you've made it a lot better by being the first real deal guest so yeah. um yeah this is yeah I appreciate it so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Anytime you have new stuff and you want to have another spot on here, let us know.
0: Yeah. So everyone go check out Jared from Our Transient Life or check out Our Transient Life and you'll know that Jared (laughs) made all the music. Or I don't know if he made all the music, but he made the music. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. All right, right, man. i talk to you later. All right. Good night. Hello.
1: Hey. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to
0: work on our dismounts.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, like we didn't have it. We should never have been out or something. Um, uh, thank you very much. Okay. yeah. There.
0: But so, all right, man. Well, that was fun. That was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. He was well-spoken and I like the music.
1: Yeah, yeah, dude. It's, it's super chill and like it's different than some of the other ambient stuff. This took a lot of thought. Like, I, I didn't know that, actually, about his record, like that that much detail. Even, like, the pocket watch thing. And the 143. Like, that's so yeah.
0: awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Some people, I don't. It's so good. It's so good and clever. But since we're going to do it in reverse, so I guess we're just going to go jump right into our main discussion. So this is episode 28. And a brief overview is going to talk about granites, kind of describe what granite is and what it's not. And then on the back half, kind of talk about the catch-all phrase of granite countertops with in between we'll do our, our mineral minute. All right, Hell yes. And we'll try not to get too technical. This is going to be a fun little casual <laughs> conversation that we're going to have. So granite. So what is granite? So the word granite mm. actually comes from the Latin word granum or grain mm. in reference to the coarse-grained structure that we typically associate with uh, your granite and pretty much your Intrusive igneous rocks, such a you know yeah, a crystalline yeah. rock,
1: yeah. And so a granite. That's general mineralogy. So like your stereotypical granite going to have quartz, a lot of alkali feldspar, then plagioclase feldspar, and you may have some mafic minerals like hornblende and biotite. But you also potentially have muscovite in there. When there is a like a classification system, and it's called the it's a QAPF, which that literally means quartz, alkali feldspar, plagioclase, and feldspathoids, but the way they have those separated out and it's they're all in the same tier of quartz content. Is it like 30% to 60% quartz or something? Um, yeah, 20? Oh, maybe it's 20, yeah. But it's with the most alkali feldspar going, if you have almost all alkali feldspar and quartz all the way to the other side where you have mainly plagioclase, it would tear it would them out like this. Like you have alkali feldspar granite and then granite, which is, it can separate out into syenogranites and monzogranites. Then you have granodiorites. So you're starting to get into more plagioclase-rich yeah. territory, and then finally, like almost all plagioclase and quartz will be a tonalite.
0: Yeah, and dude, so I remember, like, I, I honestly feel like mineralogy kind of like slapped us in the face with like that <laughs> big old geology dick, right? But then I, I dude, like, right right on the forehead. But then I felt like, <laughs> like just immediately afterwards, like we got a fist up the butt with uh, petrology. Like, right? It, I it, know, yeah. Uh, I felt petrology to me was, it was the most rewarding when I was done with it because I found, I, I personally felt like a. Was one of the hardest classes. I mean, it just for me, and I and I don't know if it was the way that we were taught, but it it, to me, it was just I I don't know. It was like modal percentages.
1: I am so bad. But like we had to learn. It was with the class, like the way he structured it was petrology and geochemistry. And so not only had to like learn all the rock types and how they form, but why they're chemically that way. And I've talked to other people that had petrology courses and they didn't go that heavy into the geochem. And I feel like the fact that we did have to do that, we all complained about it, but I mean, I think it made us, at least it made me a better geologist. I feel like having to to learn like, okay, it's not just someone making up this classification. It's It makes sense. Yeah. But I mean,
0: and it built off the mineralogy, right? Because that was a lot of the the chemistry behind it. Yeah. But like, so the, if you look at a QAPF diagram, the, when we're talking Mm -hmm. about in the overarching theme of this episode, is that granite is a specific portion of the, like the quartz and the alkali and the plage, right? So we can also classify the granite based on the modal percentages, right? So that's the, really the relatively easy, but it tells us a little bit about the origin. We'll get into it in a little bit with the, the origin of these granites and then to a a degree depth is going to play a a a deal in the classification of these granites right so location of the granite within the crust and then like you Mm -hmm. were talking about the chemical so this is the the attempts to kind of relate the composition and the mineralogy to the origin and then tectonically speaking we can classify granites and use tectonic regimes to make deductions about the origin
1: and that kind of leads into it was so there's a book that i finally read that i was introduced to probably five or six years ago, but it was a memoir and it was called "Granites and Granite is by H.H. H. Reed and it was written in 1948. That date alone should, should shine some light on like the way people were thinking then because like tectonics was not really accepted then. No, not at um,
0: all. I think we've made that a point yeah. <laughs> throughout
1: the. <laughs> yeah. And so that part, what was, they had a problem describing why granites are where they are in such large quantities. Yeah, and so it became this thing called the Great Granite Controversy, and it was like it started because people had very differing opinions. No one knew for sure why granites were in like huge batholiths, right? Like, like think of like the Sierra Nevadas. No, yeah, um, I, I, like I I
0: think about that too when i
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's a really well written paper. Yeah, yeah, and so this this was his. He was the uh, president of the Geological Society of London. Of London, um, and in the paper. Yeah, he he references the, the United States Geological Society and Professor Bowen. Like he's calling him not out, but so he's basically saying Bowen needs to handle the geochemistry side, but granites are a field geology problem.
0: Yeah, and, and I found that origin. I found like I found that very interesting because when I think of yeah, like it's a field problem, <laughs> like a,
1: yeah, and he mentioned you know this is something that we need we need to make sense of what we actually see in the field. Granted, they didn't like we said they didn't have like tectonics on the table as far as like hey, this is why, like, this is why we see different granites in different settings because of, you know, subduction zones and continent-continent collisions and that. But he went even further saying that we need to classify what kind of rock is a granite. Yeah. And we know now, like, oh, it's Nygneus rock, right? Like, we know that. <laughs> but they went even further and he goes back to Lyell, like, way back in the day. And Lyell called them plutonic, which we still call them that as well. The difference is they're dividing it into three different main rock types. Yeah. Nep- Neptunic is going to be sedimentary, mostly marine. And you have your volcanic rocks, and he, he calls these all igneous rocks, but they're primarily basic in chemistry, meaning like of basaltic origin, right? Yeah, so
0: they're going to be basic. Kind of You can think of it as, it's not going to have very much quartz in it. It's not going to be quartz rich. Yeah. Or silica rich, Yeah. mind the, you.
1: Silica, yeah. Yeah. Then... The third one is plutonic. So he's separating out, he puts igneous in with volcanic, which, okay, that's fine. But then he, he just separates plutonic out by itself and calls that the metamorphic, magmatic, and granitic rocks. I, because, so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, because
0: he asked you to, at the beginning, to kind of like just as a thought process when you're, because we got to keep in mind, he's arguing for the fact that these are, are it's a field problem.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's why, like, think about it. That's why he groups those together. Like, where do you usually see, like think about the Colorado Rockies or like the Sierra Nevadas, you have this massive granitic body, but then you have all this metamorphic stuff around it and you have the magmatic stuff, which is all just mixing of metamorphics and igneous no, stuff.
0: And I, and I feel, and I feel like that's a, like a question I've had sometimes too, is like whenever we hear that most of the, you know, most of the continents are all made up of granitic rock. Right. But then you yeah. think of like, whenever you see these kind of igneous processes with the subduction, what you're usually getting there is like the andesites and you're getting the, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that, that in between, but you're not really seeing granite in these areas. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like no. all throughout the Andes, it's more, it's not like the, the, if, but if you do there, it's, they're going to be more, cause I guess we're going to get into it in a, in a minute how he, yeah, like the volcanics and the platonics are these two separate things and, and they shouldn't even be considered together. Right. With like kind of even in the Bowen's reaction series or what, what, was, yeah. he, what was he saying about like just the classification themselves, like how we just right. kind Wait, of, just, happen-
1: oh, go ahead. The, yeah. Yeah, you don't, like, have to have both. Like, they can be exclusive. Yeah, so they're, um, and they're not they're independent
0: is, of each other, yeah.
1: Which is, like, interesting, because some people have been told, oh, well, you know, like, well, what about gabbros and, and basalt? And he calls that a different thing in that, oh, well, that's a crystal cumulate, right? A gabbro, right? Yeah, no, the I...
0: Dude, what he said about it, it, it helped me whenever, you know, you see kind of like these, I don't know... That, that that series. But anyways, what how he described what the, the the gabbros is or the what he called the or no, they called the basalts like the gabbros that didn't <laughs> become gabbro. Like they you know, it's just like this whole just kind of like suite of just the cooling yeah, process.
1: Right. It was like they were allowed to go up in the melt yeah. while the the crystals that form earlier like the cumulants settled. And that's why you have gabbro and then like your basalts will flow out. Right. Yeah. But he's saying like the granitic stuff is just not even like that. And so that's where this thing, the great granite controversy. That's why this they even had this symposium. These all these minds coming together, and then he wrote this paper. But yeah, it it was it's an old paper, and I was like, why have I not read this? This this actually would have helped me understand what a granite body is because you say this stuff, you, you learn it, and you say it, and you, you can't really think about what it is.
0: Well, I can't even comprehend like going out to the. <laughs> just driving past mountains and be like, Jesus, how does this all like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's so hard to, when you're just, when, cause it, when you're there and you're when you're face looking at the mountain it's like a myop, it's a very myopic view it's it's kind of hard yeah. to take a step out and kind of see the bigger picture unless you've been studying that area and you kind of are looking at a map it's really hard <laughs> so i mean it's, i know yeah i i find it just mind blowing and it's also mind numbing just how these dudes did it before computers
1: <laughs> <laughs> right yeah
0: Yeah, so it it seemed the reason for the the paper as part of the great granite controversy is how did the granites get where they are and in such large-scale volumes? Because, I mean, that's kind of this thing that I've always had in my head, too, is like, were, were there two initial primary magmas basaltic and granitic you know kind of like i guess what do they call fractionation or differentiation as it comes up it evolves like a primary Mm -hmm. or did granitic magma become derived from basaltic magma after partial melting and the residual melt right so like the secondary magma so this brings up the room problem right
1: right yeah. And I remember that. I remember when that got brought up in Petrology and I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I, was like, <laughs> I was just thinking, what do you mean like a room problem, like just a magma chamber? Like the way I knew so little then that I couldn't comprehend what we were even talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I'll just say like the room problem is kind of what we've been discussing. Is where's all this magma coming from exactly. and why, like we said, why is there large scale granite? Bodies. How did it get there? If we know that the mantle of the Earth is mainly what ultramafic and mafic, mm-hmm. so why do we have all this large-scale granite bodies? And so there's there were two schools of thought.
0: All right. So you're then. gonna are you and, you play the first school, Brian? I'll okay, play the second. School. I will.
1: I'm gonna be a magmatist. Okay, that which, sounds like something uh, you would be. <laughs> it does. It sounds like maggot. A
0: pragmatist.
1: Prag- you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they believe the granite formed by large plumes of liquid magma that intruded into other rock bodies in the country rock. And this seems like completely acceptable, right? This kind of sounds familiar to us uh, or anyone that's taken just even an intro physical geology course, you—I remember the diagrams like you have these granitic plumes coming up, and then it just wedged in there in the in like the limestone rock or whatever it's, is there. Yeah, and so and then like, they're that, cooled. That seems yeah, and that that makes sense. But there, they had issues with that.
0: Yeah, so then I will play the school of thought of the granitizationalist. So a granitizationalist, <laughs> right? So the opposite kind of like so this school of thought they really believe that granites are produced by transformation of existing country rock. So, there's subtle differences mm. of the magmatist versus the granitizationalist. So, they argued that the room problem wouldn't be a problem at all if existing rocks were subjected to extreme high pressures and temperatures. So, they called it ultramorphism and melted. Yeah. So, then it crystallized into the granites that we observe now. Like that makes sense, too. Yeah, and no. It's like,
1: if if we didn't know what we know now, considering plate tectonics, like, why would that not be? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, reasonable? I can
0: I can definitely see. Like, basically, what it's saying is that the if we can if we can dumb it down is one has all the chemicals that is in it, right? And then you start fractioning out the the magnesiums and the irons, mm-hmm. like right, and you are fractioning uh, off. So at the top, it's becoming silica saturated, right? So then you are left right. with a granitic body. The other one is saying that the the magma was all it has ever been was with granite because you've had such like that mixing of the melting mm-hmm. of the country rock. So it's the, the, the body itself is granite. Right.
1: Is that kind yeah, of basically.
0: It, I uh, think
1: so. I, I think it's saying, and, the, and I see issues with that too, because at some point and maybe, maybe they are just, I mean, I'm, I'm having to kind of get back and look at this for a minute because I have to think of geologic time in what it is, which is massive. And honestly, Incomprehensible at some point, but <laughs> but like I'm like at some point you had to have a silica-rich provider to the country rock, considering it could be sedimentary, right? Yeah, where's all that coming from if there was no granitic magma before? <laughs> so yeah. I don't know.
0: Oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah.
1: No, I get it. It's, it's hard. Well, I think that now we know a lot more. We do, um, but but the the importance of knowing the full conversation of An idea of how something forms in any, you know, any branch of science is really important. And so I'm kind of kicking myself that it took me forever to read this paper. But I'd like to say that nevertheless, it's highly unlikely that large volumes of granitic magma can be produced by crystal fractionation of a basaltic magma. So like we were talking about, like like you melt the basalt and you're left with more silica enriched melt. Right as the basalt yeah. forms. So such crystal fractionization would it would require initial volumes of basalt like ten to a hundred times greater than the siliceous liquids that are produced from that reaction. There there's no evidence for the existence of such large bodies of crystallized basalt magma in the crust. So basically like there's gonna be about five mechanisms in which large volumes of granitic magma could be produced. And so in a Texas, so that that's that is like I think partial melting yeah. of metasites sedimentary, sedimentary rocks to form the S-type granitic magmas, and we'll get into those in a minute. And then the anatexis of young crustal basic meta igneous rocks to form the I-type granitic magmas.
0: Yeah, and then also there's the melting and assimilation of lower crustal rocks by mantle-derived basic magmas. Mm-hmm. And then what comes to mind is the crystal fractionalization or fractionation assimilation of basaltic and andesitic magmas, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And then the, the granitization, wherein high-grade metamorphism bordering on melting converts rocks into those that appear texturally and mineralogically similar to granitic rock.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, like we're we're definitely talking and pulling in plate tectonics there. Like that that was the missing link. Yeah, back then. as as so, such as
0: a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, but they had such great ideas. No, for they what did. They thought was you know, <laughs> and it it like,
0: kind of accounts But it's it's like one of those things. It's like it's probably one of those things that just keep gnawing at the back of their head. They're like, what well, could be this, and it can be this at the same time. Why, why?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it, geology is a relatively young science considering the way we we view it now. And so like you know people like reed or they're trying to understand like okay how, as a field geologist how does this make sense? But he's also to check and in that paper he calls on Bowen, like Bowen's reaction series Bowen. Yeah. <laughs> like hey like we still have to make this make sense on the geochemistry side, the petrology side but this is, this is not a petrology problem. He's, he's trying to pull the field geologist up to say, hey, this is our chance. Yeah. And then um, I think,
0: but, but I think the, when Chapel and White, I think in 1974, right, they developed an alternate classification scheme that really emphasized the origin of granites, right? So, yeah, and yeah. then for obvious reasons, it's sometimes referred to as the alphabetical classification and we mm-hmm. will get into it. So the, the major types of granite and the classification, you want to you want to talk about the S's? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'll talk about the S's. So the S-type granites—they form in regional metamorphic terrains. That—that's going to make sense when I mention the minerals that are involved. But yeah. uh, partial melting of meta sediments. So this is going to produce like we know that a lot of shales, right? Shales, slate, sandstones, quartzites, mudstones—they're going to have a lot of aluminum because of the clay minerals, right? Yeah. So this is going to produce extremely high concentrations of aluminum. But these rocks. Actually, have no horn blend, and I I'm not sure why that is. I'm guessing because it's calcic. There may be like a, a lower concentration of calcium uh, in there. Yeah, I'm I not sure.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird that the they'll have the biotite, right? But then not the horn. Yeah, blend. especially when we when we're thinking of the Bowen's reaction series, right? I guess I, right. something. I don't. know Do you think that the garnets are doing anything it? Must in there?
1: be something like that. Yeah, and because I mean, I was trying to think. I was like, what's why why no hormone but biotite like they're both have iron so it can't be that so i don't i don't know we, we if someone knows then please tell us <laughs> otherwise we're going to look it up after this episode <laughs> but yeah so the key minerals involved in these the grants are going to be the biotite muscovite cordierite, filamentite which is one of our favorite minerals because we got to see them in new mexico and then garnet yes garnets in granite and thanks al <laughs> I'm saying they're like aluminum. (laughs) But but high rubidium concentration in the source rocks, and that's going to help bump also the initial strontium ratio. They're high. They're usually above 0.710, but they're usually higher than that.
0: Yeah. And then in summary, so the S again is for sedimentary kind of Mm. in nature. So the, the paraluminous, I guess, granites are typically magnetite free as well. And then they're, Mm. they're inferred to be produced by partial melting of the rocks and hence the s-type granites are assumed to come from sedimentary source yeah but, and then we have the i-type granites and this is for the igneous right so the i don't see like up mm-hmm. before so not volcanic but igneous but right so the volcanic <laughs> before was anyways okay
1: so so yeah like you mentioned they're gonna they're gonna be they at subduction zone continental margins so active yeah. margins right they're gonna have high calcium high sodium and that's where you're gonna have your hornblende, So I I think it is. I think it must be the, the calcium that's that was the problem in the S types for hornblende to form.
0: Okay. But, yeah, um, and, or yeah the, I see that the the calcium and the sodium really Yeah limiting factors. Yeah and
1: yeah and yeah you're gonna have the hornblende rich inclusion. So this kinda happens as like a melting of deep crustal igneous rocks. They're they're gonna produce this melt. And so the region is because it's that subduction zone pulling that basalt down it's going to be more poor in rubidium uh, because you don't have as much orthoclase and minerals that have a lot of potassium, right? That's what rubidium wants to substitute for. So it's going to be more mafic to intermediate source rocks. These initial strontium ratios, therefore, are going to be less than about point. 708. That's kind of the characteristics of these I-type, igneous type granites.
0: Yeah, and then I'm going to synthesize what you just said. So the metal luminous granites that are typically they are going to have magnetite in them as well. I-type granites are inferred to be produced by differentiation of andesite or partial melting mm. of an igneous source, such as your basalts. Yeah, because yeah,
1: yeah. of that subduction. <laughs> right. So the next type can be the A-type granites, And so we're calling it that with orogenic, so non mountain building is what would it translate to simple language. But <laughs> that's, they're going to be really high in silica, so up to 77%. Yeah, silica. so that's, it's going to start that's getting dang sticky. High. Yeah, sticky cork. but it's going to have high concentrations of alkalis. The ratio of the iron magnesium ratio is high and it's going to have some halogens also are going to be an increased concentration. It's corundum normative. So we, we have to think, okay, well, is this producing more aluminum or what's driving that corundum normative up? I don't, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know.
1: I don't either, I, and I think that these are classified as para alkaline granites, and they occur in a stable craton environment. You're not building up mountains like the Rockies and stuff. Like this. this is out in the craton of the continent, and. This is this is kind of the tricky one to, to think about, why that melts there.
0: Yeah, and then I just, uh, to step back, paraalkaline, just for those that don't know, are just rocks that are those igneous which have a deficiency of aluminum such that sodium mm, and yeah. potassium are in excess. So the anorogenic. so these are the, the granites not associated with an obvious penetrative, penetrative right. contractional orogeny. So they are compil- compositionally distinct from I-type granites. Being almost mm-hmm. exclusively ferron and higher in the potassium, the rare earth elements, and zircons, I guess. And then they yeah. are inferred to be produced by partial melting or fractional crystallization of mafic rocks.
1: Yeah, and, you know, as we're saying, like, this isn't really in a mountain building scenario. So, like, what's, like, causing that melt? And you can have continental rifting or a hot spot. So where James is somewhere in the North American craton that there's a hot spot in, in the crust.
0: Yellow stones.
1: Yeah. So that those granites are indicative of that type of scenario. Hell Good yeah. Job. Look at you, man. You know <laughs>
0: They're not even in the notes. <laughs> nope.
1: <laughs> I knew you'd know that one. Okay. So um, then lastly, to complete our alphabetic classification system of granites, would be the M-type. And they're going to originate as fractionated mantle melts, hence the M. And so there's these underplated mantle magnets, and they will assimilate crustal materials. They may even mix with other crustal melts and that's going to give this higher bump in silica that you normally wouldn't find in your mantle basaltic type melts. They'll have, again, low rubidium because you don't really have a lot of crustal rocks down in the mantle, low thorium and uranium. And these initial strontium, strontium ratios will be really low, like 0.705. Not quite to like your morb ratio, but because of that melting of the crustal rocks. But this is where you're going to find your tonalites. Because as we know, like in basalt, your your main feldspar is going to be plagioclase. Tonalite is an extremely plagioclase-rich rock.
0: No, I, and I, I, I don't have anything to add. I think you did a good okay. job with that one.
1: Cool. Um, so we kinda ran through like some really strange classification systems, but they're all they're all needed to understand the still the granite problem. We're a lot closer now thanks to plate tectonics. But I did wanna quote our father Hutton <laughs> and he basically presented this whole problem of classifying granites and understanding them by trying like you don't look at something very large under such a small lens. And he said like we wouldn't address this problem by judging the great operations of the mineral kingdom from having kindled a fire and looked into the bottom of a little crucible.
0: I like that. You're so poetic. You're so poetic, Brad. But like, yeah, classifying by small samples is dangerous. Kind of like it I always I don't know why it, the the it stuck with me when you're trying to classify like sandstones based on or you know like the class oh, yeah. inside a sandstone <laughs> and you're like this is a blah 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 blah. Like right. So granites are very big things as H H Reed once said. Yep. yep. Yeah. So before we go, I I have one thing that I think I got away from. Oh poems by James, (laughs) or not by (laughs) me, but I I found this uh, poem. It's called Split Rock Granite. And it was written in May 1931 by Lou R. Saret, And it says, Osteleid granite hills that tower serene above the world, its high concerns and mean stoic before the wincing eyes, the rain of futile tears from multitudes in pain, knowing that this day's troubled flesh will pass to numb dust under the impersonal grass build in me hills, the granite of your heart that I may bear what rives my flesh apart? Breed me as imperturbable and mute. <laughs> imperturbable, imperturbable. I don't know what that word is. <laughs> Breed me as imperturbable and mute to wretchedness as any stony butte. Let fall your cowl of calm blue dusk on me, the mantle of your cool tranquility. So
1: that's wow, that's my that beautiful.
0: Yeah, I liked it. but That was a I, nice
1: surprise. Thank
0: you. Oh, you're you're absolutely welcome for that. <laughs> I always feel uncomfortable. I don't know about it. Yeah. I, I, I like yes. poetry, but I think... So we know from hopefully what we've gathered from all of that is that granites, you know, we can classify them on all of that. And one of the things we can class, uh, fly, classify them on are minerals. And minerals... Mm. Mineral. <laughs> Mineral Minutes. Mineral. Mm. Mineral. Uh, mineral minute. I love you.
2: Minerals.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, this week's mineral minute is brought to you by the copper oxalate hydrate moolooite. Muluite. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Muluite has a chemical formula of CuC two O four zero point four. To it,
0: yeah. So, uh, yeah. mulu Fun fact this mineral may be a biomineral formed by the actions oh, of wow. lichens growing on copper rich or copper iron rocks or from bird dukes. Bird dukes, <laughs> yeah, no, so like, no it, it, it sits on it and it kind of forms this uh biomineral flocation. I don't know if that's a word, oh,
1: so but... crazy, yeah. yeah, yeah, wow, well, bird dukey. Mooloolooite is named for its locality in Bunbury Well, Moolooloo Down. What? <laughs> <laughs> Australia.
0: I drew the Australia, man. Widgey Mooloolite.
1: you Mooloolite and Moolooloo. Mooloolooite. All right, so yeah, so.
0: mooluite is blue-green in color with an earthy, dull luster. So it kind of looks like uh, if azurite and malachite made a baby. Mm. Or I guess, a, or chrysocolla, I guess, if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mooluite has a density of 3.43 with microscopic, dipyramidal pyramidal crystals.
0: Mooluite can be found in copper sulfide veins and is part of the orthorhombic crystal system.
1: Stay tuned for next week's mineral too light. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Tulieliite? Yeah, Tulieliite. I don't know. To Allahite?
0: To uh, I don't know. Toolite? Toolite? Tool? Toolite? I
1: don't
0: I know. Don't, yeah. Mineral. Good thing we don't have to study that one. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I don't know where these come from. Sometimes there's like a lot of information on these minerals, and then other times it is hard. I am hard pressed coming up with information. <laughs> I'm just like I don't. I don't know. But yeah. we're in the Ooh series, and we have hold, held true to the name. Yeah. All right. Well, then I guess the next little bit we can briefly talk about countertops, dude. I mm. I, I feel like we didn't really like granites. We could really get into ner- oh, like nerdy, nerdy. Stuff we, did, yeah, we didn't even yeah. see like the like the ed of granites versus you know kind of uh the cordilleran cordilleran oh, granites like, and all of the geochemistry of the crustal dealing I don't know we I think yeah. we will come to another episode where we go into super 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 super, super nerdy in depth but I I, I like the kind of um, I don't know the backwards thinking you no know, the the approaches before you know what I'm saying like yeah the granites and granites was a I like that yeah but, that was nice. but as as we all know if you've ever ever i guess what what brought about this is the kind of like the catch-all phrase when you think of you walk into a house and you're like oh look at my granite countertops and then i'm sure as (laughs) the the bane of geologists is like right so the nightmare is like shopping for it or just going in and being like oh they're granite countertops and you're just kind of like that's definitely not granite. not
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like black granite does not exist.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no earthly way that it could be anything other than right. So I think some of them are um anorthosites and then other ones are mm-hmm. what are gabbros.
1: Gabbros or basalt yeah yeah
0: because I mean typically what, what we're looking at is the decorative stone it's it's often classified into two neat categories. So you have granite and you have marble countertops, right? So <laughs> nearly all yep. rock types are lumped into this catch-all group. So which is not only incorrect but it's also bound to create confusion amongst everybody because everything can't be a granite rock. <laughs> well, I guess it can yeah. be. I mean, they they've made it that way, right? On one hand, maybe it doesn't matter if your kitchen countertops, you know, really are a quartz cyanite or a cafe bahia, right? <laughs>
2: I guess <laughs> yeah, it doesn't
0: really matter. The, they see cafe bahia and they're like, well, it's a granite because you said, but it's really a quartz cyanite, and we know it's a quartz cyanite based off that QAPF or some other yep. classification system. As long as aesthetic really suits your taste, perhaps the this discussion is not for you but we are going to go into it a little bit further.
1: Yeah. I mean maybe maybe it doesn't seem important to people but unless you're, you know, pondering the rigors of a busy kitchen, so you got sharp objects, acidic liquids, apple cider vinegar, I'm just going to name that one to throw it out there, abrasive cleaners, lots of daily wear and tear that can do some serious damage to a countertop, so right yeah, like stone in this environment it, it better be up to the task and so the ideal work surface it's going to be harder than the objects around it so you don't get scratches and then it's also going to be, you know, strong enough to withstand impact from your cast iron skillet and resistant to those acids like vinegar or lemon juice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tall order and not every rock sold for the countertop is really well-suited
0: for it. No, I mean, because what you're putting on top of it or even you know, spilling on it, it's really going to, uh, like the rock type is going to affect it, right? So mm-hmm. you know, people really from the granite industry who fabricate, sell and purchase cut stone slabs for further use call this natural stone simply granite. So, ugh. And then the industry <laughs> also, right, they call the stones like basalt, nice, diabase, monzonite, gabbro, pegmatite, cyanide, <laughs> schist, anorthosite, granodiorite, diorite, and many other rocks so I mean like I don't it, it bothers me when they're like oh it's just it's just a granite countertop
1: like yeah <laughs> they're like so far away from each other chemically it's not even funny No it's so weird yeah well so because so amphiboles and quartz they're primarily they or they are silicate minerals right yeah so, so in your granite yeah,
0: countertops
1: yeah 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 and so like in compounds found in glass they're they're highly non-reactive and that means unless you cook with industrial strength high hydrochloric acid on your granite countertop <laughs> you're not really going to ruin it and i doubt you're using anything like nitric acid in your yeah. kitchen um, so you definitely, yeah or any of those like you're not going to be dissolving these silicates. so you're not going to be able to ruin it with your typical kitchen ingredients and it's important to remember that sealant's aren't as hardy though. So everyone's like, oh, you gotta like make sure you're sealed. You're you're gonna be dissolving some of that away over time anyway. And it can degrade you're using vinegar really often or you know, lemon juice. I use lemon juice for lots of things. So if you're those are regularly spilled on them, you're in a little bit of trouble on that sealant anyway.
0: Yeah, and then one of the things that I found interesting about quartz countertops is like right they're they're kind of porous and then you'll know that I guess mm. how they know that they're porous is like if you drop water on it and it beads up or not. Usually you'll yeah. be left with like stain. So if you look on the under Side of a polished granite countertop, you'll usually see what the rock looks like. <laughs> I don't know, just as it's cut. But anyway, so a, a conundrum, widespread problem with identification and labeling of there's uh, other types that you know there's they'll broadly uh what's the word I'm looking for classify them as marble, right? So we've been talking about granite, mm-hmm. but sometimes yeah. they'll, they'll they'll be like, oh yeah, it's a it's a quartzite uh, marble, or you know, they these <laughs> weird kind of things, right? So yeah. They, yeah. they they can look alike, right? But they have quite different properties to them. So some stone dealers, they've come up with the, the unfortunate term of soft quartzite. <laughs> so that's how they, des- yeah, that's how they right. describe uh, marble. So try to explain oh why God. a rock labeled as quartzite doesn't have any of the properties of quartzite, right? Oh so on quartzite, God. I think that they've, they've. it's actually marble. So that's really going to affect uh. it. If you spill, <laughs> what, vinegar on, yeah. if it's not sealed properly, it will, it's, yeah. it's going to, it will start to Ooh. dissolve it.
1: <laughs> Yeah, and, like, it's going to be soft anyway. So, like, they say it's soft quartzite, but, like, quartz is what it is. It's <laughs> a mineral that's, like, what, seven, like, six and six and a half to seven is, is hardness. Yeah, like, uh, uh, But uh, calcite's, like, what, 3.5, 3? 3, 3.
0: It's, it's a 3.
1: Yeah, so completely different, and completely different minerals, so I'm not sure why they do that. It's a completely different
0: rock type, too. It's one yeah, sedimentary, yeah. <laughs> the other is metamorphic.
1: Right, yeah, and so, let's see, travertine countertops, they're a sedimentary rock. So travertine is a type of limestone. It forms in rivers, hot springs, and other bodies of water that deposit calcium carbonate or other, other carbonate minerals. Other conditions, main mineral that precipitates out will probably be aragonite. Yeah. Either way, they're, they're going to build up, solidify over time, and subject to high heat and pressure. It's going to eventually become travertine.
0: Yeah. So, like, kind of at uh, Turner Falls up in the. Yeah. 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 And then, so aragonite and calcite, is that there? Is that I know they're pseudomorphs, right? Is it just how they they arrange their uh, atomic level?
1: They are, what are they called? Are they called polymorphs? Isn't that the correct way to say that? Well, when I that, say pseudomorph? Yeah. Yeah. And so they have Polymorph. the same chemical yeah, they're, composition. Yeah. They're both CaCO3. They're yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Like the yeah. yeah, I got you. I got you. I got um, you. But I yeah,
1: I think that uh, oh, I, I just totally forgot what I was going to say. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I I don't know, I don't know
0: either. But anyway, so yeah, so typically exhibiting concentric or fibrous patterns, the, the travertine brings a touch of, uh, I guess, if you will, an organic charm to the counters. But the purest mm-hmm. forms, they're going to be white, while impurities in stone may lend coloration, such as gray, gold, rose, cream, brown, light purple. So you can get different colors. And yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more popular due to the fact that it it does look like marble because it has that kind of flow to it because that's what metamorphism does is it kind of creates these ductile type environments for the rock. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't cost nearly as much as to the fact that it's more widely available in quarries. Also, while some types of limestone are quite soft, travertine is very durable. So yeah. the, the Roman Colosseum is largely built of travertine. How about that? And it's load-bearing, so it can be used on floors as well as counters.
0: Yeah, I know uh, my in-laws, they are, they're getting a pool made and they want to use travertine as the kind of, I think they have like flagstone uh, down mm. right now, but they want to replace it with travertine. And then I looked it up just because aragonite has an orthorhombic structure and calcite is trigonal. Ah,
2: uh,
1: there it is. There it and, is. and so... Arag- aragonite is actually unstable at atmospheric condition. How about that? So it'll eventually change back into calcite like over
0: enough time. Like, right. And then also aragonite plus a little bit of pectin and irritation from sand and you get pearl. Oh, <laughs> man.
2: <laughs> That's very nice.
0: It's a mineraloid, right? Not a mineral? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And then okay, so then there are other kind of countertops too that we can uh, that they that they use that we looked up, and they're soapstone countertops, and they're from, um what you would guess soapstone, and this is from naturally occurring or it is a naturally occurring stone, and it is composed mostly of talc, like right, so mm. uh, which does mean <laughs> it can be very soft. Uh, yeah, if, if you think of so- it's the softest mineral on the Mohs hardness scale, it's used to make baby powder, and then therefore at the very bottom of the mineral hardness scale, diamond by Contrast is the top, but you know, we're not gonna be having those diamond countertops anytime soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Well, so some substones they can have a decent amount of quartz in them. And so that that's gonna up their strength and make them quite a bit more durable. So but also some other good news. calc is very non reactive. They don't really have to worry as much about spills. So to me it's sounding like marble is just kind of worthless as <laughs> a countertop <laughs> and like compared to all these other ones, right? Yeah. Don't know.
0: yeah, but then on the other hand, talc is, uh, what is it called, organophilic, so which means it's yeah. attracted to organic compounds such as oils and will bond with them. So uh, this could be a potential source of staining. So for this reason, one must uh, ensure that their soapstone countertops is well-treated to create a buffer against spills. But because talc is so dry, uh, curing soapstone against water is quite important. Otherwise, it's going to suck up the liquid and potentially ruin the entire structural integrity of the stone. And then I know, you know what, what also they use like serpentine and marbled. It yeah. It's the yeah, yeah. green color. And then I don't yep. know, the darker colors. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. We could have gone all day and talked. I know what there's. And one last thing is like, I know if you look on websites, like there's, you have thousands of options. And then <laughs> from different parts of the world. And then another thing is where most of the people get exposure oh, to rare earth yeah. elements are from <laughs> your countertops. <laughs> Oh man. But they they put it yeah. at like it's acceptable limits, right? So I think right. in the higher rates cuz I what it's the not the what is it? The radon is a yeah. is like the radioactive I mean anyways, it it in the higher amounts it's it could be like the equivalent of smoking like half a pack of cigarettes. I don't know.
2: But it is the radon
0: wow. poisoning is I do believe the second highest reason why people get lung cancer outside of smoking. But I, but it's it's I feel like that's just a thing I don't know that maybe other people are trying to scare but yeah it's 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 not going to I think if it's sealed I don't know I don't even know what I'm trying to say just be <laughs> aware that it does exist.
1: <laughs> yeah and and I want to say that like there's only been I can only remember one time I've been to someone's house or seen a countertop that actually was granite. Oh yeah, that all of the, like all the rest are some other rock type. Generally, they're usually like some metamorphic, like some nice granitic nices. But I mean, anything black, like I feel like people should get discounts for being lied to about what the stone is like you yeah. something black is a granite just be like dude no
0: yeah and then also with that you should be careful too is that with the like the the gabbros and the the basalts right yeah. so they, they they are less um, <laughs> they're denser right so they're gonna have less i guess porosity to them but if you try to seal that they 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 often will get blurry like they'll get kind of like yeah. uh, like this milky smoky like on top of it. So
1: well, I don't, and I wonder how long after spilling a bunch of water on them because they're olivine and pyroxenes are the most unstable minerals out of Bowen. So what yeah. does that mean? Like, are they going to weather really quickly by oxidation? I don't know. I don't know, man. Don't get just don't just don't get gabbro or basalt as your countertop yeah. or marble. I think that's the the takeaway here. Yeah.
0: Or just be, just uh, don't say it's granite when it's not granite.
1: Don't take it for granted.
0: Yeah, because it's taken for granted. <laughs> or granite, which is the name of the episode. Yeah. But, anyways, um, right? yeah. I say let's just finish things off with a little bit of new news, my friend. And then. Yeah, that sounds th- good. Yeah, so hopefully that was a little bit of a uh, enlightening and fun and entertaining for you guys out there. Let's see, give us a little party waltz for this. I found an article about the water company mm. Nestle. Like, so they get they got this past week a cease and desist order. So we were talking about with the Silent Spring and public awakening, but anyway, so California officials have moved to stop Nestle from siphoning millions of gallons of water out of California's San Bernardino forest, which is mm. which it bottles and sells. As Arrowhead branded water right so we know that the drought conditions worsen across the states Nestle they yeah. have actually maintained that its rights to the California spring water date back to 1865 so there there was this investigation in 2017 that found out that Nestle was taking far more than its share last year oh, yeah the last year the company drew out 58 million gallons far surpassing get this <coughs> the, so 58 million is what they drew out but what they were in their what their you their contract is is only to use two point three million. So, Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's uh, 20, that's twenty five times as much water as yeah. as they had the right to. So, and they've been doing this for years and years and years, taking it out of the the Strawberry Creek, which Nestle has been pumping from. It's a tributary of the Santa Ana River, which provides drinking water for about seven hundred and fifty thousand residents. So it's the mm. the region's watershed as a whole provides a habitat for numerous. Is I mean like it's the ecosystem, right? So what's I also read like what is it the one up in uh in idaho and wyoming it's like the most endangered uh river due to like i don't know some four like dams were being built and salmon aren't able to go and it's the whole mess yeah so that's basically what i have so the uh it just, it, it bothers me. So they've clearly been abusing the system, yeah. especially with California's drought issues and energy issues. Like, ugh, it makes me angry. But it's glad that, I'm glad that they have they actually had the balls to say, hey, stop. <laughs> I
1: can't believe they've been getting away with it. I know. Um,
0: 25, 58 million
1: gallons. I'm still the person that like took the time to, to do the research to find out like, hey, this is, they like to get it on paper that this is happening. Yeah. Like one thing to claim something, but to go through and get that proof that's awesome.
0: Absolutely, dang man!
1: I'm not gonna buy any. I don't even know if I buy Nestle products. I, they probably have so many brands under their umbrella that I don't know. So.
0: Yeah, and this coupled with like Dale's talk, like you know, they bottle that water in plastic yeah. bottles. So it's,
2: <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: like yeah, I well, think they're the largest. Wow. Yeah, the largest uh, water bottle producers in America. So, wow.
1: well, um, thanks to the awakening news. Yeah. Uh, mine Whoa. is. Is yeah, <laughs> mine is back to my normal. Where I find strange things that are happening in the animal kingdom. And the story I have for you today is about a praying mantis, female praying mantis of the species Stenophilia loba vertex. Yeah, it in in uh, very dark areas, where it's trying to attract mates. Uh huh. It will extend and protrude a pheromone gland out of its back. It looks like, you know how like the, I don't think these, are, they're not actually called antennae, but like the eyes, the eye spots or whatever on
2: the snails. Yeah. It looks like that. of oh I mean, like
0: so, so it's like, they're already like, I guess, like they're alien looking like animals. Yeah, exactly. Like, right? And then, yeah. they have these, what? So is it just this one or do they all do this?
1: This one species does this. Now, other ones do I have similar things i guess but this is the one that's like this y-shaped balloon it's like a green y-shaped balloon and so like it is they have other like other ones have glands that'll kind of just like stick out a little bit but this is like this alien looking thing and it only happens in the dark so this was discovered in 2017 and there was a herpetologist frank blau and he was basically going through his nighttime forest, r- rainforest routine looking for amphibians and reptiles trying to find new species but he his flashlight passed over a brown leaf mimicking mantis and that's what the species is and he saw these like he called them maggot-like structures protruding uh, from its
0: back yeah the fact that you and, just like it only happens at the nighttime
1: yeah Golly. exactly yeah and so they like the structures sucked back inside uh-huh. The insect after the light hit it. So he was like, is this a parasite? I don't know. And so he basically called upon Dr. Schwartz, who's an entomologist at the University in Bochum in Germany. And they basically figured out that this was not a parasite, that this was after they did their study on it, that it, it releases pheromones, like these two little <laughs> glands that pop out and they allow for the mate to find them in the dark.
0: Man, that that would be creepy. But I feel like, like, how did it, you know, the adaptation to, like, I don't, I don't know if it was like, what did they use this as, like, kind of like a defense mechanism, and then it evolved into, oh well, this is attracting
1: since, then, yeah, maybe, that I don't know. make sense, like, but like, yeah, like, why is it Y shaped, like, why do you need two little spouts? Like, I, I don't, uh, I don't,
0: I don't, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> And then, I just wanted to bring up one i I find I don't know how I feel about it or where where I know where it's going, but it's not where you think it's going. so recently, they made a human monkey embryo what? yeah so they call them chimeras so chimeras kind of like this uh yeah. where they inject uh, human stem cells right because so i think the idea with stem cells is like they can end up becoming any type of tissue or organ right so that's the thing is like they don't know where it's going mm-hmm. they've used it in the past i know to study what when they're when they i want to say aids uh so they they made mm-hmm. mice with human immune systems so they could study how diseases work but so oh what gosh. they did is they Actually made a an embryo from a human and monkey. I think it was a, the macaque. The macaque macaque Mm. macaque (laughs) (laughs) but anyways i but like so you know the implications of that are are very weird because like they 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 could create like everyone that they did is like i think it was like 132 embryos that they made and they all like survived but like they're they can do it and they but they only survive up to 19 days but the fact that they're living and then i guess they injected you know kind of like where they could splice kind of uh where they could see with glow, you know, where it glows, where it has the, uh, bioluminescence. Uh, so yeah, with, uh, yeah. where they can see where the human stem cells are. So they, you know, spliced in where they can see it, but it, it's, I don't That's know. Cool. It's kind of,
1: it's kind of, it's cool, but it's, weird it's really pushing yeah. down i don't i don't know like, that's, that's it like unethical i don't know i
0: don't know because but i think the idea is that they want to find a way to grow organs for humans yeah but and, i mean you know, like i like, but i feel like that's an ethical concern in and of itself like right what's that movie uh, where they where you could have clones oh, God, yeah. and then they would end up killing these people so they can you know basically live forever you know i guess would,
1: i don't know yeah like, yeah who was well, there, there was that was, and there was there was like also blade runner that was kind of that idea like the robots would become more human but then there was one was the one about like oh, like the harvesting of organs and then being on like the black market or like they would call it in yeah was i don't it, know was it repo man maybe i don't remember God, I, but it I, was I, like basically they call in like if you can't pay for your organ that you got transplanted then they come after you and take it out of you and you die it was crazy oh
0: let's see i'm trying to think oh, oh it's called the island is the movie i'm island. thinking of oh, okay it's where they, it's these people that they don't understand like why they're in this thing and they try and escape, but it's, they find out that it. uh, anyways, they have, they're just clones and usually, you know, I guess they get to go to the island is the big idea. It's like, oh, we made it. We're going to the island. But the island really means that like you're, you're being killed because your people in up top earth are uh, or harvesting <laughs> your island, your organs. Oh, oh gosh. Oh. But the monkeys, yeah, so well, but what happens if like, it becomes monkey, has a human brain, and I don't know, it's just the implications.
1: Too many bad things can happen.
0: Yeah, so I don't, I, they're pushing the bounds. So I think it was an American and Chinese lab that did this. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that I'm in the business of rocks, but I don't have the brain power to try to make new species.
0: Maybe we should get on, the next time that we try to do this, get on someone from, I don't know, a rock, you know, or I guess a granite countertop distribution people and kind of, (laughs) why do they call it what they call it? Yeah,
1: why do you do this. Because I don't know. Hey, looking, man, I don't
0: care. Man, looking through some people's websites, like, they were just, I was just like, man, your geology is like... Yeah, they are, put
1: the weirdest names. Like you said, like cafe blah, blah, blah.
0: <laughs> No, but I was just talking about how they tried to explain. They're like, oh, the, the, the grant, like, they didn't really articulate. They're like, oh, there's different types of rocks, but they didn't yeah. really distinguish between the types of igneous rocks. So I don't know. I was like, yeah. I was like you need a geologist to write your, your descriptions because you are all <laughs>
2: over the place. They pay us
0: to do it maybe maybe we can uh partner with your with the granite countertop industry for your description that'd be cool
2: hell yeah yeah and be like hey pay us uh
1: like that would be really cool then they wouldn't be lying yeah dude let's do it okay
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right man. well it's been another wonderful episode i enjoyed yeah. this one quite thoroughly and then i guess close things out brian so um want everyone out there to remember to be cool stay tuned and keep it, keep it on, on the, the rocks. rocks. Hell yeah, man! <laughs> yeah, keep it on the rocks, rocks, rocks. Keep rock, it on rock, the rock. rocks, rocks, rocks. Short and sweet. Yeah, is a, a good one. A little bit of about the us